This morning is in the book of Isaiah, another famous Advent text. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it not too little for you to weary men that you will weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Before the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, wait, there, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have has not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you as your people gathered in your name. We come and we sit at your feet as we read your word, as we hear it preached. O God, Spirit, we pray that you would be at work. Speak to each and every one of us here in the room or watching online. Lord, we need to hear your voice. We need to hear your promises We need to know your presence. So we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you need to hear from the Lord today? What do we need to hear from the Lord as a church? We received some hard news last week. Um, I announced that I'm stepping down as the pastor here at Village Church in a, in a special meeting after the service, and um, this is not how I saw 2021 ending. This is probably not the way you saw 2021 ending. Uh, my preference would be to ignore the sadness and to preach the good news of the gospel and all the hope that is in my future, my family's future, and your future, and, and not, we're going to do that. But I also think it's important for us to name what's going on in the life of our church and ask the question, where are we to look? <laughs> where do we to find our confidence? Where are we to find our hope? And one pastor stepping down from a church is not the end of the world. There are lots of things going on in your lives, in our lives. What do you need to hear from the Lord today. Again, where are we to look for hope and courage and confidence with whatever's going on in our life? Well, the truth is that we are called by God to look where God's people have always been called to look throughout our history, and that is to the Lord our God, the creator of heaven and earth in good times and in bad. People, things, Circumstances, they will always let us down. 
It will always disappoint. They will always surprise. But God is our constant confidence. He is the rock on which we are called to build our house. He is the source of the stability and the peace that we seek, whatever's going on in our lives. And there's no better time to be asking these questions, I think, than the time of Advent. I love this time of year. Both Advent and Lent are a time in the Christian calendar when we, are, we specifically focus on waiting on the fulfillment of the Lord's promises. Village Church, we have entered into a time of waiting, just like Francie just prayed beautifully. Time of waiting to see what's next. What this next season of life for our church and our community will look like. Some are feeling fear. Some are feeling anger. Some are feeling confusion. What will the Lord do? These are the same questions I'm asking. Same questions my family is asking. Will the Lord, what will the Lord provide? What's next for us? But it's important to remember that the question is not, will the Lord provide? The question is, how will the Lord provide and show himself faithful to all his promises? And in that way, as sad as this time of transition is, it's also a time of hope and expectation because we know that the Lord is at work. The Lord is doing something, and because of his character and how he's proven himself over and over again, we know that it is for our good, and so we wait for it with patience. It's not unlike uh, the Christmas presents under our Christmas tree in our home. Uh, Every day, one or two presents are added under the tree, and uh, my kids never miss a beat. They're there, they're on the floor, they're shaking, they're reading. Who's it for? And I can sense their excitement and anticipation for Christmas morning growing in their hearts. And it strikes me that those presents under the tree are like God's presence. Those presents are like God's promises. They're sitting under the Christmas tree wrapped in the paper of the scriptures, and we wait for the day when, when God will say, today's the day. Today's the day that you can open my presence and finally receive the promise. We long for that day. And as I thought about that, it, I, th- I think it, this is a good reminder that we as God's children are to cultivate and to, to maintain, to seek hearts of a child. Right? My kids remind me about what's important this time of year. Presents. No. No, but they have that childlike anticipation. And I get so caught up in my day-to-day worries and activities, I don't even notice the presence under the tree. And I think that's often how we live our lives. We're so caught up in our own worlds that we forget God's promises, that there there are beautiful promises waiting in store for us until that day when we can unwrap them together. So, how, are we, how can we see these promises in our passage this morning? Well, we've already noted that in this passage we find the famous prophecy that Matthew quotes, that Christina read earlier in Matthew chapter 1, that, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means 
God with us. Now, many of us know this as the prophecy of the virgin birth, right? This is a a major aspect of our faith, that Jesus was born of a woman. But there's so much more to this promise and this prophecy. I find it fascinating, and it's all about the context. (laughs) So let's talk about that. What's going on in this passage? What makes it so unique and so special? Well, in verse 10, the first verse that we read, we see that the Lord has come through the prophet Isaiah to the king of Judah. If you know the history of Israel, right, they began as one nation, the 12 tribes of Israel. But over time and through conflict and civil war, the nation broke into two, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was called Israel, but it was also called Ephraim, and we read that name here. And two nations of Judah, the southern kingdom, Judah remained the more faithful of the two pieces of Israel. And over time, Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, teamed up with a, uh, a neighboring nation of Syria, and they made plans to attack Judah, the southern kingdom, and to destroy them. And so this made Ahaz, the king of Judah, antsy. And he was getting ready, he was thinking about making alliance, an alliance with another nation named Assyria. So we have Syria, Ephraim, and Assyria, three different nations around Judah. But in the midst of all of this fear and and chaos and unknown, the Lord comes to the king of Judah, to Ahaz, and he tells him not to worry. He doesn't want him to make an alliance, a political or military alliance with Assyria. Assyria was evil. Assyria was was a faithless people, a murderous people. And so God said, no, don't put your trust in Assyria. Put your trust in me. I'm telling you that these two nations, Ephraim and Syria, they're not a threat. I'm going to take care of them. Trust me to protect you. And so God comes to the king with this word, and he says, hey, go ahead, ask for a sign. I want you to ask for a sign to confirm this prophecy that I'm making to you. God would often use signs. If you're familiar with Gideon, one of my favorite Old Testament judges in the book of Judges. Uh, God called him to lead God's people, and he was, he was so lacking in confidence that he asked God, if this is really true, give me a sign. So God gave him a sign. He said, let's double down. Give me the sign again, but in the reverse tomorrow. How about that, God? And God's like, okay. So he gave him a sign. God often gave signs to confirm his prophetic word. But, but how does Ahaz respond. He does something strange, perhaps unexpected. He refuses God's offer of a sign. We read it in verse 12. He says, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, you could read that, and to me, it's confusing. It sounds kind of pious, doesn't it? I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. I'm not going to ask. I don't need a sign. But what Ahaz, if you know the story, What Ahaz is really saying is, I don't want to trust the Lord. (laughs) I don't want to put my trust in the Lord who I can't see. I want to put my trust in the military strength of Assyria. (laughs) That's tangible. That's results. He would rather put his trust in mighty Assyria than in mighty God. And that's not good, right? (laughs) We all know that. King of Judah... He's not just like any secular king. He represents God's people to God. 
And God says to him, Is it too little that you weary men, (laughs) that you would weary my God also? You see, Ahaz, he represents the failure of the Davidic line of kings, right? If you're familiar with King David, he was a man after God's own heart. He was supposed to be the epitome of what the kings of Israel should be. And yet, basically, after David and after Solomon, it was kind of like this downward stair steps of progressively worse kings. Some had more faith, some less, but Ahaz kind of represented the end. His son, Hezekiah, would become king of Judah, but he would be taken away in exile in his lifetime. And so Ahaz represents the failure of the Davidic kingship, but really he he represents all of our failures to trust in God. God comes to us and graciously offers us his love, his assistance, his provision, and how often do we, like Ahaz, turn away and say, no, no, I'd rather put my faith in my job, this relationship, this circumstance. Well, the question then is, how does God respond to Ahaz's faithlessness? You could imagine God is saying, Ahaz, you're the king. You're supposed to know. You know the law. You know the history. And you would turn your back on me? You could imagine God's rage, God's fury rising up and saying, I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to cast out Israel. But this is what he says. Well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. A child born to a virgin or a young woman, and his name will be called Emmanuel. Well, there is a lot we could unpack in this response of God's, but there's three things I want us to see this morning in God's response in this prophecy. First, it is that our God is faithful even in the face of our failures and our faithlessness. I'm kind of blown away, as I've already said, what God is saying here in this moment. He comes to Ahaz, and he says, ask for a sign. He says, let it be as deep as Sheol, which was kind of this fuzzy view of the afterlife, a little similar to kind of a Greek view of Hades, or, you know, the underworld, down, deep, or as high as heaven. God says, ask anything to prove my faithfulness. And Ahaz refuses. And so God's response, though he expresses his exasperation, right? Well, it's really Isaiah. He's like, come on, man. You would weary man, but would you weary God as well? But God's response is to double down on his faithfulness. He says, okay, Ahaz, you don't want a sign. I'm going to give you a sign anyway. A young woman will bear a son, and he will be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ahaz, you may be faithless, you may be turning away from me, and as king of Israel, you may be dropping the ball in some big ways, but guess what? I am faithful to my people, God says. And beloved, this is good news. (laughs) God's relentless faithfulness to his people where we would justifiably turn away and say, you are untrustworthy, you are unreliable, you are stabbing me in the back, betraying me. I'm walking away. God says, I will never 
walk away. Even in our own faithlessness and the faithlessness of those around us, God will never leave us or forsake us. He is the faithful one. Amen? Well, second, the story reminds us that what we've said already, that people, things, circumstances, they let us down. And so God, again and again, he calls us to put our faith in himself alone. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't live in relationship, shouldn't trust one another, that we shouldn't live in community. Absolutely. Most of the New Testament is written about how to live in community and how difficult it is. It resounds with patience and love and long-suffering. Right? It's hard to live in community, but we are to commit ourselves to one another as God's people. And yet, the Scriptures again and again show us that we cannot control our world. And so when we put our faith in a job, in our money, in particular people or relationships or institutions or organizations, at some point in our lives, they're going to let us down. We're going to be disappointed. And this is a time, have you guys heard, um, what's the word? Um, Deconstructing? People are deconstructing their faith. Is that the right word? Anyway, if you listen to the Mars Hill podcast, um, that's a podcast for you. But people are so rocked in their faith by what they're seeing in the world, by what they're seeing in the church. They're, They're walking away. They're deconstructing their faith. And sometimes maybe that's good. Maybe that's taking off man-made things and things that their faith was built upon that weren't the gospel, that weren't God. But it's easy for our faith to be rocked when we look to people and institutions. But God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And the same in our lives. As things let us down, our faith can be rocked, our confidence can be shaken, and yet the Lord tells us, I am with you. Whatever comes, whoever has let you down, however you have felt betrayed, whatever you are unsure of, my promises will hold true. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will provide for you. He is our rock. Remember Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Beloved, we can have peace in the midst of chaos because of the relationship we have with our God. All right, third and finally, I want us to see how God wants us to understand his relationship to us through this name. God could have chosen any name. Israel's about to go into exile. Their leadership has has turned on the Lord. Things are not good for Israel. God could have revealed himself as a mighty warrior or hero, which he, he does in other places. But at this moment, God reveals himself through the name Emmanuel. Now in Hebrew, these are two words. Emmanu, which means with us. If you ever studied Spanish or some other name, it's a word with that, that ending that changes the conjugation. It's, it's the word with, with, plural, with us. El is God. Emmanuel, God with us. Again, more than being a strong provider or a warrior, 
or our creator, God wants his people to know in this moment that he is with them. It's incredibly relational, intimate, and close. And it's this moment that Matthew thinks of as he is writing his gospel and he's writing about the birth of Jesus. Because in a move that nobody saw coming, God, the Lord, (laughs) took on flesh and became a baby born in weakness. Uh, Something the, the Jews never could have conceived, that God would become man, fully human, fully divine. Matthew came back and he said, this is how we are to understand what God is doing. You see, rather than snapping his fingers and taking care of all of our problems, which I think I would prefer, (laughs) I don't know about you, God says, I will come and I will be with you in your problems. Hmm. What does that tell us about our God? Rather, again, than alleviating the problems, he came alongside us so that he could bear our problems with us, bear our pain with us, bear our sins for us. I love the way the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus as our high priest, as the one who makes sacrifices and intercedes for us. He says, Since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession to our faith. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. This is an incredible passage. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. God became a human being so that he could relate with us, so that he could understand. There is nothing that we or you are going through that Jesus doesn't understand. Therefore, he intercedes for us perfectly. He stands before the throne of grace and he pleads for God's mercy and grace on our behalf. This is what it means that God became Emmanuel. Have you ever been in a situation where you're talking with someone going through a very hard time, but something you've never experienced? And you can, I don't know if I'm using these words right, but you can sympathize, right? You can say, man, that must be hard. But you feel a separation, you feel a distance because I've not experienced that. But have you, have you been in a different situation where you're with someone or maybe you're the one who's in a, in a place of struggle or suffering or pain, and someone comes in and sits down with you and they say, I know how you feel because I've been there. I've experienced it. This is what it was like for me. And you just feel a connection, a touch, a unity, a comfort, because you know that you're not alone. Well, how comforting is that when it's a human being, but how comforting is that when it is the God of the universe? Whatever we are going through, whatever God's people are going through, Jesus knows because he is with us. He has walked with us. He has interceded for us. And he loves 
us. Beloved, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace where the Father sits. And we go with confidence because we know Jesus went before us and we know that there we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. This is a time of need for many of us, for our church. But it's, it's not a time of hopelessness because we know the God of the universe and our Lord intercedes on our behalf. I love the way Dane Ortland puts this in the, in the book Gentle and Lowly. He says, the reason Jesus is in such solidarity with us is that the difficult path we are on is not unique to us. He has journeyed on it himself. He is not, it is not only that Jesus can relieve us from our troubles, like a doctor prescribing medicine, it is also that before any relief comes, he is with us in our troubles, like a doctor who has endured the same disease. He goes on. He came as a normal man to normal people. He knows what it is to be thirsty, to be hungry, to be despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. He knows what it is to be lonely. His friends abandoned him when he needed them the most. Had he lived to today, every last Twitter follower and Facebook friend would have unfriended him when he turned 33. He who will never unfriend us. Now, when I first read this quote, I actually thought it was really cheesy. I was like, Jesus will never unfriend you. But then I thought about it, and it kind of grew on me, because think, if you think in our culture, like, I've heard stories, never happened to me, thankfully, because I don't like social media, but you can like a tweet, other people will see that you liked it, and then you get in trouble. You ever heard of that? Like, they're like, I can't, what, you, you, ah. Or you're friends with someone on Facebook, and they, what do you, what do you mean? You're friends with, I can't, do you, are you responsible? Yeah. You can get canceled by association. So imagine you're in a situation where publicly you've been shamed, you've been ridiculed, your friends, your, your follower count is plummeting. Mine would go from 75 to 10. <laughs> down, to, down to one. Because Jesus will never unfollow you. Jesus will never unfriend you. And you know what that means? What it really means is that Jesus is not ashamed to be associated with you. Not just because you made some stupid tweet, but because you're, you really are a sinner. <laughs> you've probably done things that are shameful. You've made mistakes. You've made choices. And yet Jesus is proud to be associated with you. Jesus would never cancel you. And so, beloved, whatever comes, all people may leave and forsake you. Your solid job, your solid health, your solid situation may change. And yet Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that is very, very good news in the dark season of Advent, when we wait for the light, when we wait for the answers. What's next? 
What will the fulfillment of this promise look like, Jesus? We don't know, but we rest. So, let's close with one final quote from Ortland and take this as the application of the whole sermon. Look to Christ. He deals gently with you. It's the only way he knows how to be. He is the high priest to end all high priests. As long as you fix your attention on your sin or your circumstances, you will fail to see how you can ever be safe. But as long as you look to this high priest, you will fail to see how you can ever be in danger. Look inside, looking inside ourselves, we can anticipate only harshness from heaven. I think I can smell the Advent wreath burning. Can you take care of that? Sorry. <laughs> Let me read that sentence again. As long, <laughs> as long as you look to this high priest, you will fail to see how you could ever be in danger. Looking inside ourselves, we can anticipate only harshness from heaven. But looking out to Christ, we can anticipate only gentleness. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, this is the good news that we need to hear today. That come what may, you are with us, you are faithful, you are true, you are gentle and kind, and our trust is in you. Lord, would you fill our hearts with gratitude this morning? Would you fill our hearts with faith this week? Would we celebrate on Christmas morning with a joy we have not felt in many years? that you are the faithful God who came to be with us, to bear our sins, to bring us everlasting life. And that is our future. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, now is the time in our service.